Right, I was very tempted to come here. No, I'll use this one. Is that working? Good. And just shout out, stand, and see what would happen. Because we finally got, in our series of looking at Ephesians, to stand. And we've used the title, Sit, Walk, Stand, which was the title used by the Chinese Christian and martyr Watchman Nee for his study on the book of Ephesians. And I forget when we started this series, it must have been somewhere about Easter time, if not even before, and then as we started coming out of lockdown and were meeting in smaller groups and so on, it's taken a while to get us through. But we finally got to the last part. So I'm going to read now from Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace to you, peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. One point I make frequently, and I'm going to make no apologies for making it again, is we do not follow random verses from the Bible. We don't just pick and choose little bits. We look at what God is saying to us through his word in its whole context. So to understand this bit at the end of Ephesians, we have to understand it in the whole context of the book of Ephesians. It's no use coming to this passage and hoping to understand it if we don't have embedded in our minds what we've already been taught from Ephesians. 
So I'm just going to summarise it as I think Pete did a week, a couple of weeks ago, and we kept doing. But it's important. The sit part is half of the whole book. We have been seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. Chapter 2, verse 6. This is fundamental. We cannot stand if we're not seated first. Sounds contradictory, but unless we are seated in Christ, we cannot stand because it's a spiritual battle. Walk is most of the rest. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. From chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. This is secondary. We cannot stand if we do not walk imitating Jesus. Notice it's all about Jesus. I know that comes up all the time, but it's true. That's why it comes up all the time. It's no use looking at this in the abstract and trying to work out what to do. It's something we, we can stand because we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places and we are walking, imitating Jesus. If you try to stand without either of those two, you will fall. Stand, we finally get to in chapter 6 and verse 10. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In chapter 6 and verse 11. Now when I was given this as my passage, I thought I would do a traditional sermon on the armour of God on verses 13 to 17. And I will do that, but not this week. I'm taking a uh, leaf out of Sam's book and I'm starting this week, and when we have the, all the children in with us next week, I will finish it then. And I'm going to warn you that next week we will have a quiz, and it will be the children competing against the adults. <laughs> and the children will be very well prepared by Linda and Anna today. So before next week, I warn you to do your homework and read this passage again, Otherwise, you're going to uh, find that they will slaughter you. <laughs> Not that I wish to make it competitive or anything. Right. Now, obviously, in preparation, I read through this passage several times. And the thing which struck me on about the fifth or sixth time was how every day and even possibly bland the languages. We're talking about spiritual warfare and he's not using complicated language. With spiritual warfare, not that I think this would apply to people here, but it's easy to dismiss it as an out-of-date idea because after all, who believes in a personal devil? 
nowadays. Or at the opposite end, to see it as something for the specialist only, because it's complex and only properly trained people can do it, and therefore we should leave it to them. And for somebody who would see themselves as a spiritual warfare specialist to get so engrossed by it that that's all they ever think about. But you can't support any of those ideas from what Paul's saying here. So I want to have a look in more detail, and this is mainly going to emphasise today in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, and I'll come back to that a bit later, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, I've been reading from the ESV. If you've got a different translation, you will probably find the translators have translated the different phrases, possibly differently. But somewhere in that mix, you will have words like, if I find my place in my notes, rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers, and so on. There's all that kind of phraseology being used. And the first thing I did looking into it was look at how these words were used in the other parts of the Bible. Because that's always a good way. If you want to understand how, what something means in one verse, look how the words are used in other verses. And these words are just used for people who are ruling a country or a territory or have got authority in a, over a particular group of people. These words are nothing special. They're not particular spiritual terms uh, used by Paul. You know, they're words which pop up all over the place in the New Testament Greek, just meaning your sort of average, uh, me- what, I suppose what we would have these days as a mayor or a uh, emperor or whatever. Just normal words, nothing particular special. With one exception, where Paul combines two of them together to make a word which doesn't appear anywhere else in the uh, New Testament. Uh, And that was uh, one which uh, the ESV translates as cosmic powers. It splits it back into the two original words. Uh, And it's uh, cosmocratorus which if we sort of make it slightly more English, would be cosmocrats. Right? Rulers. Now, the problem is, you can get very te- I can get very technical about language, because that really fascinates me. But the word cosmos in this has multiple meanings, and the meanings have changed. If I say the word cosmos to you now, the most likely meaning you'd put to it is the universe, as in cosmology. But that use of the word cosmos, or if you like, almost sole use of the word cosmos in English, dates back only about a couple of hundred years. If you go back to the origins of cosmos, cosmos is the opposite of chaos. Cosmos is organised. Chaos is disorganised. You get the word cosmetic from cosmos. 
Because if you use cosmetics, you've organised yourself. If you're like me, what you wear is chaotic. You just put random stuff on because you like it. All right? So it had the idea of organisation. It therefore became to mean things like the world. Because the world is organised. Yes? So that, and of course, eventually to the universe. So the idea of the universe does apply in the New Testament time as well. But you've got all these different meanings behind it. So when Paul here is talking about cosmocrats, he is not thinking, if you like, so much about the whole universe as about the, uh, the world we live in. So the authorised version translated this as world rulers. And that is probably the concept we ought to think of. So what it's saying is that behind all the rulers we have on the world, in the world, there is something more than just humans. There are spiritual powers which have an impact on what happens in the world. So if you've ever wondered why when your favourite politician gets into power, they don't seem to be able to do whatever they said they're going to do, or do what you want them to do, it's possibly not entirely their fault. Let alone when your least favourite politician gets into power and do things you don't want them to do. You know, I think it was the uh, Conservative Prime Minister in the 1960s, Harold Macmillan, who, when got asked why, as Prime Minister, he couldn't do what he said he was going to do, came up with the phrase, events, dear boy, events. <laughs> Things happen which we don't have control over. Now, we don't need to get over-worried about these spiritual powers because although the book of Job can be difficult to understand in all the detail the base, one of the most basic themes about it is these spiritual powers are limited by God in what they can do so we're not in a context where there are rampaging spiritual powers which are unlimited around these spiritual powers are permitted by God to have a certain amount of control at this time. So therefore, it's not something we need to fear if we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Because we have been put in a place of authority with him. So therefore, let's not get over-concerned. I've got a couple of minutes spare, yeah. Lots of stuff I've had to chuck out because there's so much you could go into in this. But as always, Twitter produced something this morning which just fits in. Uh, An Anglican guy I follow had something on Twitter about a book which was published, I think, in 2019 which was on the occult origins of Western anarchism. The thing is, 
you could probably write a book about the occult origins of almost anything in the West, particularly anything which started about the end of the previous turn of the century from the 1900s to the 2000s. You could do a book on the occult origins of the Boy Scout movement, or on socialism, or on Nazism. You name it, you could probably find things there. The point is, there are these spiritual powers, and they don't just influence the, the groups you don't like. They influence the groups you like as well. So, it's just, in a sense, if you like, a fact of life we have to live with. It's why, however much good we try to do, and it has a good impact, there's never, it always never seems to be quite enough. It's why things which, you know, I look back to when I was a student, and various things I campaigned for as a student and continued campaigning for for decades after that. Some of them have turned out reasonably well. Other things, when they've actually finally happened, you think, well, that wasn't quite what I was hoping for, and it seems to end up helping the same uh, rich people uh, in the end anyway. But... When we are fighting these powers, what do we fight with? And again, I'm going to come back to this next week in a bit more detail. But again, it's simple. It's not difficult. Looking at the rest of this main passage in Ephesians 6, what are the things we fight this spiritual battle with? Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation the word of God, and praying at all times. In other words, we fight this spiritual battle by being the Christians we're meant to be, by walking in the spirit, by walking, imitating Jesus. And that's... So, for example, if you turned up last Thursday afternoon for our prayer meeting and you were praying you were taking part in a spiritual battle if you were telling somebody about the way of salvation in Jesus last week you were taking part in a spiritual battle if you refused to tell a lie and told the truth last week, you were taking part in a spiritual battle. So, we are fighting this spiritual battle much, much more than necessarily we think. It's not something we necessarily have to be conscious about. Sometimes we are very conscious that there's a spiritual battle. Because you're very conscious there's some sort of force, authority against what is right and what, you're, what sh uh, you should be doing. But other times it's not something you're conscious of. But it's something which you are doing by being the person Jesus has called you to be. I just want to make a couple of points before we move on to the response in a couple of minutes.
because I don't think they're ones which would be that suitable to make with lots of children around. So, yeah, close a few ears. Right, it's the, I'll just do the gory bits, okay? Right, the gory bits. Look at Gospel of Peace. The Gospel of Peace are shoes for your feet. Now, again, those who know me know, know I like historical fiction. So, particularly now I'm sort of more semi-retired, I've been reading a bit more historical fiction. And it doesn't matter whether you're thinking about time of the Romans or before you get to guns and so on, you're fighting with physical weapons the person in front of you. So when you are standing, you've got the enemy in front of you there. Therefore, when fighting goes on, it gets slippery and messy. Therefore, if you haven't got your feet properly shod, you're going to slip over, and once you've slipped over, you're done for. So, the feet is the gospel of peace. When we're fighting, we are fighting with a gospel of peace. Now, I know primarily the gospel of peace is the gospel of the peace between God and man. But, if we are fighting with a gospel of peace, we do not fight it in a non-peaceful manner. If that, that, doesn't, that sounds contradictory, you're fighting in a peaceful manner. But if your fighting is unduly aggressive, and it's the time to be aggressive with evil spirits and so on, but if your fighting is unduly aggressive against the wrong target, which probably means against a person, be careful, because that, I don't, that is not fighting as we are called to. And the other one I'll just mention very briefly is about the uh, shield of faith, uh, which if I get that, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Again, from my historical novel reading, Darts and flaming arrows, or put the two together, flaming darts, if you like, were the terror weapons of the Roman era. So, it does, when the enemy sends terror weapons against you, things which would make you fearful, the thing which protects you is the shield of faith. So terror, what's terror designed to do? to take away your confidence. But what we have is the faith which God gives us. We have Jesus who is faithful to us through all times to enable us to withstand anything which might terrify us, which comes from the enemy. But what I want to end with today is that last one. Most of the things in terms of the armour of God and what we do, if you like, are things which we have and we just stand in. But the final bit Paul finishes with here, talking about the armour of God, is verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So if you ever want to know what's the one thing I can do to deal with this spiritual issue, this spiritual warfare, one thing we can always do is pray. So what I want us to do in the last few minutes, 
is to do some praying. Because, and let's see what he asks us to pray for. Pray for all the saints that they may, we may keep alert and persevere. No, actually, we need to keep alert and persevere. Pray for all the saints. So, just where you are, pray for any other Christian you know. Whether it's somebody in this church, somebody in the family, somebody you know, somebody in this country, somebody in another country. So, you can either pray out aloud, which I'd encourage. So, therefore, the uh, enemy knows what you're praying. If you pray just in your mind, God knows, but the enemy doesn't. So, pray out aloud, and then the enemy knows what's going, but you're actually fighting as well. So let's just pray now for some Christians you know.